Hi, this is Robert Wall, and you are listening to The Road Taken. To thyself be true. This is Shelley Pikett, and that's my song, Bitch. Well, the one I wrote with Meredith Brooks. I tell all about how it happened in Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, a memoir about my adventures and misadventures on the front line of the songwriting business. You can also hear about Christina, Brittany, Keith Urban, and many more. But my book isn't just about songwriting. It's about passion, pursuit, perseverance for any dream you may have. Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, available on Amazon or at a bookstore near you. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicki's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon. Vicky wrote a book. Vicky Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Welcome to Vicky Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicky's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicky. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Vicki? Well, I'm a little freaked out because I've got to take my computer in for repair. And um, oh, no. yeah, I need a new, um, what is it called, a logic board. And so it's something they can't do in, in, Apple can't do it in the store. If they do it in the store, it's $650. If they send it away for three to five days, it's $300. I'm, I'm so dependent upon it. I'm like almost tempted to tell them to do it in the store for 600, but I really can't afford to do that. So I'm not. So I'm giving them my computer. So meanwhile, the preparation it takes to be able to part with my computer for three to five days, I'm I'm having such anxiety. So I borrowed both my kids iPads. I'm putting stuff on hard drives. I'm like, I'm, I'm absolutely stressed out of my mind. And technology in general is making me crazy. I went to a show last night and these people had like their phones out. And have you gone to like the movies or like, even worse live theater live shows or live concerts and people are like on their phones and they're like posting about the show instead of being at the show yes it's I've crazy, seen that a lot right it's crazy making yeah so um I, so i've decided that i need to use these next three to five days to like untech out you know to like just get down to like stop being you know do other things get up off the damn computer put the phone down maybe i can like wean myself off this stuff and right and and wean myself onto the funny and tonight justin i'm really excited because um uh, have you ever heard of robert wall yeah Excellent. Did you, okay, so I'm sure you've seen a bunch of stuff he's been in, maybe, and whether you've realized it or not. Um, Bill Durham, did you ever see Bill Durham? Uh, I have, yeah. And Good Morning Vietnam. He was in Batman. He was in Batman with Michael That's Keaton. That's where I know him best. Oh, God. What what a great performance that was. His oh, yeah. first movie was this movie, Hollywood Nights, which is this really cool 
very, very funny movie. The other thing about Robert is he's a brilliant writer. He um, he won two Emmy Awards for writing the Oscars that, that Billy Crystal hosted. He's hysterical. But the thing that Robert really, um, you know, his, his baby was he had one of the first, one of the most important scripted shows on HBO called Arliss that ran for like eight or nine seasons. An amazing show that merged sports and comedy and was brilliant. And um, he's done, you know, all kinds of other crazy things. He was also um, a frequent panelist on um, on ESPN. And because his his knowledge of of comedy and of sports is also trumped by his knowledge of food and poker. He was on um, the game show network's Poker Royale. So he's he's a really he's a renaissance man. He's got he's he's kind of all over the place. I'm excited that he's here. So Justin, let's welcome Robert Wall. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm thrilled to have you on. Well, you're very welcome. I was. Happy to be. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off already. I'm a terrible. I'm terrible at this. Um, I was just uh, reminding Louise Palanca, whose studio this is, um, was there when you came and did Women Who Write, and I was telling her about how the night before um, you came to the house, you you know you asked me to get you an actress, and then you were going to read something that wasn't your writing, and. And then you and then you wanted me to print it out for you, but and then it ended up you came. You were completely prepared. You were completely brilliant. You read a piece of your own. What well, what was the piece that you read us? I I couldn't remember. I just remember it was unbelievable. Do you remember? I don't remember it. Okay, I don't remember either. But it was it was unbelievable. What could, what could it have been? It was something you hadn't you hadn't it, like you weren't able to access it on your computer for like years, and somehow you like dug it up, and it was something you hadn't read in a really long time, and it was like genius. And I couldn't. I think it was. It may have been a piece I wrote for the New York Times before the first debate in the 2008 debates between. Obama and McCain, the University of Mississippi had asked me to, uh, as part of the week of, of leading up to the debates, which was on their campus, mm -hmm. they had asked me to perform my show. Right. And I had, and when that happened, I wrote a piece for the New York Times about how I had been to the University of Mississippi in 1980 or 81 because the school I went to, the University of Houston was playing Ole Miss in a college football game when they had Archie Manning, believe it or not. <laughs> so, and I wrote about... That even sounds old, yeah. And, and, and it, was, it was about our trip there in, the, in 1960, what did I say, 19, excuse me, 1970, not 1980. It was 1970, or 60, yes, 1970 it was, and 70, 71. And remember, this is still, the war's going on, and we got long hair, and I was traveling to Mississippi where only a few years earlier, about six, seven years earlier, was uh, uh, Mississippi burning, and we were in that town. Wow. Philadelphia, Mississippi, and I wrote about the, the experience of picking up, on the way to the game, we pick up a young black student on, the, on that one, one road, uh, two-lane mm -hmm. road that led into the University of Mississippi, and how car after car was passing this guy by. And, I mean, he appeared to us like Omar Sharif in, uh, in Lawrence of Arabia. Like, this, this image starts to form, and every, nobody's passing, everybody's picking him up. Nobody's picking him up, and we pick him up. And, of course, we've got the bumper stickers and Make Love, Not War. Right, right. I got, my, I got a big Jew pro on. And, I mean, it's, uh, and we picked him up, and I remember talking to him. I go, who are you rooting for? And he goes, Ole Miss. And I said, why? 
You know, it's like, really? why are you rooting? He goes, well, it's my team, you know, and I got that. And, uh, and he had to sit in a segregated test session, section in the, in the end zone. Wow. And I remember, and then here I was coming back to, uh, and then, of course, I learned the old Miss chant, hottie toddy, uh, hottie toddy, gosh almighty, who the hell are we? Hey, flim flam, <laughs> bim bam, old Miss pie, damn. And, uh, and I remember that, and now it was, Oh, God, was it 38 years later or something like that? And a black man was about to debate for the president of the United States. You know, and I said, and all this, by damn. And, uh, and it, so I wrote, I think I told that story because I had written the piece for the New York Times. I'm guessing that's what I said. I'm, I'm guessing you know, I don't remember if that was the piece, but and I wasn't going to get into politics because I really want to hear your story, but there's no way to not, because that experience that you just explained about picking up the black man and then now this guy is running for president and and I'm having the same kind of experience with my daughter who's actually going to NYU I'm bringing her to NYU in two weeks where you did this Um, but uh, the fact that Hillary you know that we have a woman running for president and it's sort of the same you know and I was marching for women's rights back in the 70s and now here we are having a woman running for president okay so little boy little Robert were you always politically interested was sports always a thing was comedy always a th- what came first for you what was your first passion well certainly not politics i'm always aware of current events in history i always like history and current events okay not politics in the sense of taking a stand my dad was a republican my mom was a democrat okay so i saw both sides of you know i respected both sides my dad was a world war ii veteran uh the uh and i basically thought you know i understood both points of view my dad also ran a business Mm-hmm. So I understand that from a business point of view and having to make a profit. My dad used to say, remember something, Robert, no poor man ever gave anybody a job. Mm-hmm. That's always stayed with me. Uh, where, where did you so grow I up? Had, I grew up in Union, New Jersey. I was born in Newark, okay. uh, and I grew up in Union, uh, which is about uh, 20 miles outside of New York City. Uh, and um, so, so, I, so, I, so I grew up in, I remember the first time I remember vaguely when I was in grammar, when I was a really young kid with a Kennedy Nixon, because uh, my dad voted for Nixon, my mom voted for Kennedy, because he was cute. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but, uh, my mother voted I, for I, Nixon. I, I think a lot of women voted that way. My um, mother voted for Nixon, and she's voting for Trump. I, I can't even, I, anyway, go ahead. Oh, you see, this is interesting. This is my, my family is, uh, I mean, my family's, my sister, who is a very much of a conservative, very, very, very wow. much, uh, but she can't stand Trump. I mean, for her not mm-hmm. to vote for Trump, for her not to vote Republican is very, very strange, but she just can't vote for this guy. Uh, this is what I'm hoping my mother will come to, but we haven't gotten there yet. I, I, what's he Which is unfathomable. I mean, I'm going, I'm going, it's funny because my sister, uh, who lives in South Florida, and, and you know, but where, where it's very heavy, I mean, there's a lot of conservatives down there, conservative Jews down there. And I, I t- she doesn't want me, I'm celebrating my birthday this year. It's a special birthday, and I'm, going to, I'm taking a couple of friends, and I'm, I'm going to Paris. Nice! Yeah, yeah, it's great. The great thing about having a birthday in Paris is you can invite everybody because nobody's coming. <laughs> it, it, it's the truth. I've got, I went on paperless posts, and I called the Use Your Miles birthday. And I, I must have invited close to 100 people. I think eight are showing up. And, and it's the same eight. I'm bringing over four of them, so it's like... Uh, and I'm two, and I think my brother's already there. So I mean, it's like, so it's real easy to do it this way. And my brother-in-law and sister, my brother-in-law, who was in Italy up until today, keeps saying, oh, man, why are you going to Paris? It's very dangerous there. You know, it's like, I would be worried if I was in Paris. I go, first of all, how? I said, if I'm a terrorist and I want to take out a lot of Jews, wouldn't I hit Boca Raton? <laughs> I said, 
that's where you are. I mean, I mean, that's where I'd go, you know. And, and, and but he's in Italy right now. That that one he can figure out. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so I'm doing. But as far as politics, I really never was big time into politics. Uh, I always voted. I, I, you know, I, I yeah, but look, little, I'm I, going I back further. Like when you're a kid, were you when you were in school? Are you like a great? Uh, are you were you great at history? I mean, were you was social studies your history, big subject? Good at making jokes. Good at making. And when did the funny? Ha- well, how did the funny happen funny, I had for a you? Funny household. Funny. I was always funny. Were uh, your parents I, funny? We were class clown, and I always preferred class wit. <laughs> I, I, never, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't a clown. I, I, you know, they always say class clown. I mean, there's never been being, a, you know, just, you know, it's like you wouldn't say to a comic now you're a clown. Yeah, you know, that, then you have so to do I, the whole Joe Pesci comic. thing. What do I, I make you that. laugh? My, I would yeah. say I was a class comic. The uh, class comic, got okay. Into trouble, of course, a lot of detention, uh, but that didn't mind detention because I thought I was part of a group. <laughs> uh, so it really was. I thought I was getting like favoritism sometimes because I didn't. Although I was, although I'm, you know, pretty athletic, I, and I love sports. I, okay, so Arliss, so so wait, so stop, wait, so so sports and comedy. W- w- so was it both of those from the get go? Yes, which I never saw a and, and drama class, you know, in the theater and, and movies, okay, yeah. especially. When, when did, okay, wait, uh, did, when did you, you do know, your first? When was the first time you were on stage? Do you remember your first line in your first play? Were you in grade school? No, no, no. I, I can remember singing. Uh, um, 16 tons at my uh, at my swim club when I was like seven or eight. I remember that because there's pictures of that. And I remember, I remember that song. I remember being in school plays. When you were uh, like really little, when did that start? Yes, very little. This is like then when I got to like junior high school and high school, I actually wrote the class show in like in a day because they bailed out of whatever they were doing and they came to me. I don't know why. And I had to write like a Johnny Carson show. Okay, uh, so so yeah, and so like you're you're high school. I did a Johnny Carson show. I played like a Johnny Carson character, and we had Ned McMahon, and the vice principal almost threw me out of school because I had a character like Monty Rock III, who was very effeminate. Now, I didn't really, you know, back then he didn't realize what that meant. He was just an effeminate guy. So, and he was like, and, and he nearly threw me out of school between performances. We had two shows because I saw, you been talking about homosexuals and stuff. And we weren't talking about homosexuals. We were just making, you know, we were just acting effeminate, you know. It's like no more than anybody in a, in a movie back then would have been doing. Right. Uh, but I remember that. I do remember that. Okay. And, uh, but but I, always, I always knew what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be in the movie business and tell stories. That uh, much I, so I always knew that from a very young age. I was always fascinated by movies and show business and stuff like that. Okay, so that's what I want to I know. So, and then, so I, and I, I love sports, but I knew I was never going to be an ad professional athlete. Did, okay, did you know you were going to be a writer? Was when did because you're also an Emmy-winning writer? When, when did all of when? So okay, so you always knew you wanted to be in show business. You had this penchant early. Do you remember what sparked it? Was there like one movie, one show, something that sparked that passion? Do you remember? No, but probably love of attention. I would guess. Ah. I would just think people laughing at you, and I love watching comics and studying them and watching movies. And I didn't start breaking down movies till later. Uh, but I understood, uh, you know, what kind of comedies I liked. I liked Abbott and Costello a lot in the early days. When I was a kid, I liked Abbott and Costello. Right. I liked uh, the Marx Brothers. I liked W.C. Fields. I liked the classics, you know. So I did like that. I, when I was a kid, I loved Jerry Lewis. And then you develop taste. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's true. That's, that's very true. Although I will argue that, especially in Lewis's early, early period, there's always at least one scene in every movie that's pure genius. Absolutely. And then, and then it just got terrible. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, uh, but I, I love comedies. You know, Woody became a huge 
factor, but that's a little later. That's starting in high school. Right. Okay, so so now you start. So you started writing though early. You're saying in junior high school you were already writing the plays. Yeah, I, I guess I was. Yeah. And so was that something that uh, did you work at that? No. Or was that something that came well, natural not to well you? Not well as I should. I haven't worked at anything as well as I should have probably. Uh, the I, and then I go to college. You know where I. Make a joke. Go to University of Houston, where I cram four years into seven. <laughs> well, I love school. I hated class, but I love school. Okay, so you did seven years of college. Okay, so now I you did. you get out of school. Now you've you've been you've been doing. Th- were you doing theater in college as well? Were you? Still, uh, yes. You were doing that as well. Okay, and so I was now- working in intramurals of sports. Sports, and this was something interesting because I had never found. And, and what's in- interesting too is that even when I was doing sports. And I, I, I made a very dear friend uh, in the drama department who was the first gay guy I ever met. And, but he was a sports fan. Yeah. And to me, it was, I, I never thought, like, when later on I do Arliss right. and find out the antipathy that a lot of people had towards sports in, 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 in theater and in drama. I mean, and the critics, how much they hated sports. And they took it out on. I guess it's of course the jocks always took the bat and ball away from them, or they just didn't like the they didn't like the attention they got. But there is a huge, and that was really an eye opener to me how much hatred there was, but for a lot of people to have anything to do with sports. Isn't that? And yet you created this, and and you were sort of it was groundbreaking because I think Arliss wasn't it like the first HBO like scripted series. Was it? No, no. They had had Larry Sanders before us. Oh, yeah. They had okay. had a Dream On before us. Not but a lot we before the, you, though. You, you were... We were the first of the wave that included... It was us, then Sex and the City, then Sopranos, right. then Six Feet Under. So we were that wave. Right. And we were the next... We were the Albrecht wave. The other ones were done under Michael Fuchs when he ran uh, HBO. When Chris took over, he okayed Arliss. And that was the first one. And then comes Sex and the City and uh, Sopranos and Six Feet Under. But we were always kind of, even there, we were a stepchild because of sports. Uh, okay, so now what made you do that? So you know that going in. So what made you merge sports? Didn't know. Oh, oh, you didn't me, know I was just telling sto- I was just telling stories. I had no idea the backlash that we would get by some people, by some. I mean, you were on uh, for a long time, so clearly yeah, there was an a, audience. A, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, uh, I'm going to curse right now. So You're I'll, allowed to curse. You're on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, Tommy Lasorda, the Dodger manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a frequent guest on Arliss. And years later, uh, I'm sitting with him uh, in Dodger Stadium, and we're sitting in the owner's box, and everybody's around us. And Tommy goes, uh, how, many, uh, how many years did you do Arliss? I said, well, we did, uh, eight year, we did seven years, 80 episodes. And he goes, I'll tell you what was wrong with your show. <laughs> I said, okay. He goes, it was the language. Did you have to use that kind of language? I go, well, we were on HBO. And he said, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> And he had no idea what he had said, and the entire box cracked up. He had no idea what he had said. But uh, the best thing about the Orlis show, one of the things I liked about it was um, I never thought it was really about sports. I mean, one of the nicest things that ever happened to me was I was at uh, the Tribeca Film Festival one year at the Mm -hmm. opening, and at the Graydon Carter party that he always threw down by the courthouse. And and, and, uh, Fran Leibowitz came up to me. Mm And she's chain-smoking, and she says, Robert, I hate sports, but I love your show. (laughs) 
And I said, well, uh, thank you, but I think it's because it's really not about sports. Mm-hmm. It's about characters mm-hmm. in the world of sports. That's different. I mean, I'm more interested in the peanut guy who sells peanuts at the concessions. I'm more interested in the woman who, her story of the woman who's the choreographer for the Laker girls. That's the character I'm interested in. Right. Uh, just to have some rich jock. I don't really care, care about that. Ron Shelton, the great filmmaker, and does a lot of sports movies that I've been very fortunate to work with. We always talk about the reason the more sp- most sports movies fail is because it always comes down to the big game. It's always, oh, we're going to have the big game. <laughs> and you know, the big, there are no big games. It's always big game crap. You know, that's because they're told 90% of the time, they're told, sports movies are told from the point of view of the fan. And ah. the fan only cares, the only thing the fan cares about is whether the team wins or loses. They don't care at it's, all. About it's it's not else. told through the sports hero's eyes, through Kevin Costner's eyes. What, what's your? What's no, absolutely not. No? If you think about Bull Durham, yeah. which of course is Rodley, there's no big game in that. Which you were in, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Yes, yeah. but there's no big game in that. See, Ron no. said, he goes, I don't know what the fans think in there. He goes, I know what the guy at second base is thinking. He's right. thinking, I'm trying to keep my job. Right. I go, that's exactly right. See, well, my dad ran a business, so I, I looked at it, Arliss, as a guy who's running a business. And he has a very unique clientele. But to me, he, an agent, he could have been a, a travel agent, a real estate agent, mm-hmm. a, 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 a theater theatrical agent. I mean, that was parts of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, theatrical agent, sport. It's just a clientele you have. But an agent by nature is parasitic, <laughs> uh, I always thought, because he's taking a piece of somebody else's work. Now, you can make, I can make an argument that he, that he is, is responsible for some of that. Mm-hmm. But by nature... It's a parasitic profession. (laughs) So I never looked at it as the sports thing. I looked at the characters in the world of sports. It fascinated me. We had had an episode one time that Ed Asner played. uh, um, There was a great Baltimore Oriole. Chuck Thompson was a great announcer, play-by-play guy for the Baltimore Orioles. Mm -hmm. And And he died, and I forgot how he died, something like that. And I had just gone through my father-in-law having Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do an episode about the play-by-play guy mm-hmm. uh, for the Dodgers, the, you know, fictional ones, not Vince Scully. People thought it was, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, having Alzheimer's, calling a game and starting to talk about Koufax and Drysdale in the middle of the game. And, uh, and Sean Penn's mother, Eileen uh, Ryan, played uh, uh, her, her, his wife. And it was one of my favorite episodes of all time. And Asner was this great... You know, announcer, and because I had dealt with Alzheimer's, and I, you know, I saw what it was like. That's so I would go into topics. I was into, I was into, you know, the gay thing in sports mm-hmm. and uh, abuse and everything. And I would come at it with a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I was very proud of that. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and are those episodes archived? Are they accessible? They are. HBO has only released a best of DVD. That's all they ever released. Mm-hmm. We were always a stepchild there. We were never because of the sports thing. We were always a stepchild, even though we were getting higher ratings than, I mean, The Sopranos and Sex and the City were the two big ratings. Getting right, they right. Were giants, but we were right behind them. Our ratings are much bigger than anything on HBO is now, with the exception of Game of Thrones. I take that back. Game of Thrones is, is very big days. Our ratings, though, are, we would get four million people a week. You know, a, a show uh, like Curb Your Enthusiasm gets one. Wow, you know, Real, like that's crazy. One and a half, maybe two. We were getting four. You know when, when and we were and we were we were the stepchild because Sex and the City was getting six and The Sopranos was getting about eight. 
but meanwhile, when Michael Imperioli was here and the Sopranos had only done the pilot, he was saying that they felt like they were in the shadow of you. He, he mentioned Arliss. And he said, really? because you were doing so well. And they figured they would never have that kind of audience. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. He, he actually mentioned that on the air. Okay. So, so do you have, before we move on from sports, do, do you have a favorite sports movie? Is there a sports movie that, like, comes from your, the well, point of view that... Great, uh, favorite sports movies. Uh, hoo, 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 hoo. I think the most... Uh, was a couple of them. Uh, I love... Uh, I really like uh, The Hustler. Mm-hmm. I really like Requiem for a Heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first Rocky is a very good movie. Yes, it is. Uh, the first Rocky is a very You know, the, la- the last Rocky, Rocky I really enjoyed. Did, did you like that? the last one? That was okay. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, thought it was pretty. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a nice reboot. A smart way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it was fine. That was, that was a pretty good movie. Uh, the most underappreciated sports movie, I would argue, to, is the original Bad News Bears. It's a great <laughs> movie. It's a great movie, and it's about something. It's about Middle America and their values. Wow. I mean, Michael Ritchie was making those movies back then. He did The Candidate. That was a great movie. Mm -hmm. He did Downhill Racer. Also great. Smile, which is a great movie about beauty pageants. Mm -hmm. He was making movies about middle America and their values. And The Bad News Bears is a great movie about that. I have to go back and watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not PC when they did the, you know, I mean, these kids are yelling all kinds of stuff there. And he's giving them beers to drink. I mean, when he did the remake, (laughs) you couldn't do any of it. Everybody's so PC now. Right. That's That's the one thing that I will say that Donald Trump has brought up that is a is worth discussing is the PC nature of our society. That's the one thing. I mean, that's why comics won't do it. Any comic I know won't do, won't do colleges anymore. There was a whole thing about Bill Maher and Jerry Seinfeld. They won't go to colleges anymore because it's just too damn PC. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. They won't go there. Wow. It's just, remember, Bill Maher said something. They took away his invitation to speak at... Uh, uh, you know, somebody says something, oh, that's racist, oh, you make a joke. It's like, come on. Yeah. No, that's the one thing that I, see, that's where he's touched the nerve, Trump. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing, because, you know, it's so funny, right now we're in the race, and uh, you see all these polls coming out, and, how, and this guy could not make more mistakes in a million years. <laughs> and I got to tell you, he's still only six. I know, it's, it's terrifying. It's absolutely And let me tell terrifying. you something. She better be at least five points, at least five points ahead going into election day, because I don't believe any of these people. I, all I know is that when every primary happened on both sides, Hillary Clinton underperformed and Donald Trump overperformed. So when it comes to that day, I totally believe there's at least 5% of people who are going to vote for him that are not saying it. And there might be more. So she better have a big lead going into that. Yeah. All right. Um, back to you. Um, I because I, I can sit and listen to you talk about politics, but we're not we're not going there because then I'm I'm, not yeah I okay so all right so Hollywood Nights your first movie was that your first movie how did that happen I just come out from California I mean just came out and um, how old were you I was twenty six okay so I came out to California mm-hmm. and uh, actually Brody Dangerfield had brought me out because I was writing jokes for him I. And uh, he had given me, a, because he brought me out, and uh, as you said, this kid's funny, I got my leg up at the comedy store and other places. And I was a stand-up comic. I okay, so you were stand-up comic first. How did, and so you were doing stand-up comedy in New York. You were doing it at Dangerfields. You met Rodney. That's how, how did that happen? 
Yeah, well, I was at the improv mostly. I, I, I just knocked on a dressing room door for Dangerfield. Really? And he greeted me, uh, you know, naked in a robe. As he in his did. robe and slippers, yes, I've met him. And always naked, you know. <laughs> uh, and I said, I got some jokes for you. And he goes, okay, kid, let me hear them. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. You know, a guy comes up to me at the airport. He says, we'll be fine, I was till payday. I say, when's payday? He says, I don't know, you got the job. <laughs> So, and he'd say, okay, kid, the jokes are good, but don't do me. You know, so, and I, so, so I started writing and editing jokes for him a lot. And uh, uh, so How much were you getting California. paid for a joke? $50 a joke. Oh, that's if, pretty if, good. If, I, th- if, I thought he was work, less. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. So, um, but it gave me a leg up again in the clubs, too, because I was writing for Rodney Dangerfield. Right. And so I go out to California, and I got a leg up, and... Uh, and, and stand-up comedy was so hot back then. Mm-hmm. This was the days of Robin Williams and Steve Martin and Saturday Night Live and Freddie Prinze. And, you know, uh, so it was so hot back then. Yeah, yeah. And I got seen by a casting director named Harriet Helberg, who brought me in. Harriet Helberg is a really good friend of mine. Oh, okay. Well, you know, in fact, I saw her son's movie last night, which is Florence Foster Jenkins. I saw it uh, last week with Hugh Grant. Yes. So, um, anyway, so... Harriet brought me in to meet a writer-director named Floyd Mutrix, who was the writer-director of Hollywood Nights. And to this day, I've never seen a script for this movie. And, uh, and, but I improvised some stuff. I threw some jokes in. I played, and, I, and I got the part of this ringleader, New Bomb Turk, to play this part in the movie. And that's, you know, it was a lot of good... T- Floyd was nuts, but he had a great eye for talent. He did a movie, American Hot Wax. I, mean, I love that talent. movie. Jay Leno's in it, Lorraine mm. Newman. Great Fran movie. Drescher was mm-hmm. in it with me. Uh, also, Tony Danza's first movie. Uh, F- uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's first movie. Wow. Uh, Stuart Pankin. We had great talent. We had a lot of and talent. And Harriet was the casting director on that? Harriet was the casting director. And, 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 and her husband, uh, Sandy. Also a was, good friend uh, of mine. Was <laughs> one of the rival cops. He was one of the cops. So now, wait. So how did you connect with Harriet? How did you get in, how did well, you get in the door? She saw you in a club. She, she saw you in a club. Uh-huh. Okay. So you do Hollywood Nights. Then you do Flashdance? How did that happen? No, Flashdance comes years later. Oh, okay. Uh, Hollywood Nights becomes a cult film, but I, I don't get any work from it. Oh. Uh, but I'm getting work as a writer. Uh, I, during that time, I had also auditioned for Airplane, oh. and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And, however, I met the Zucker Brothers, who then hired me to write on Police Squad. And wow. so I started to establish myself as a writer, and I wrote on Police Squad. I was doing some writings, and I got some assignments and some pilots here and there. And then, wait, Robert. What, excuse me. What did you do to start writing for tele? How did you segue from writing jokes for Rodney Dangerfield to writing for television? Well, I had written a pilot for TV. I got, I got a, a, a when I came out there. Like I said, it was a hot comic. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a pilot uh, that didn't get picked up, but it was well received. Did you? How did you learn how to write a pilot? Did you take a class? Did you read a book? What'd you do? No, no, no. No. You read books. You read scripts. You read scripts. You okay. Know, pretty mm-hmm. much it. And you get better as you do it. Okay. And, uh, the. Um, so that, that, you know, the, the first time, first things you're going to write are probably not going to be very good. I was Do you remember writing. what that first pilot was that you wrote? What it was oh, about? Yeah, it, was called, it was another history thing called History 101. And uh, it was, again, a, it, was a, it was a funny, like, short, it was like a Ken Burns mockumentary type of thing. Um, so then I, so they hired me to write Police Squad mm-hmm. with them. And uh, we get fired, we get pulled off the air after like three or four episodes. <laughs> and then, you know, I just, and I was a stand-up comic. I was on the road a lot, but I was always writing scripts and I would, Slept along like a 30-pound K-Pro, which I could never get past security these days. Uh, a 30-pound K-Pro computer in the early days of computers. Uh-huh. Ooh, that and then, uh, and then what happened with Flashdance 
was that one of my agents, William Morris, also represented Adrian Lyme. And Adrian Lyme was directing this movie, Flashdance. Mm-hmm. And he, they said he wanted somebody to improvise two weeks' worth of comedy for two weeks. They were going to give me a, get a job for two weeks. And what happened was I met Adrian Lyne. Mm-hmm. When I was doing Hollywood Nights, he was directing a movie called Foxes, which was done by the same studio, which was Casablanca Films. Mm-hmm. And I would tell him my stories about Hollywood Nights, and he would tell me his stories about And so we hit it off, and he hires me for Flashdance. Now, let me tell you about Flashdance. I'm hired to sit in this bar and just be one of the patrons there. Yeah. And for two weeks, I'm sitting there, and I don't say a thing. <laughs> I don't say a thing. I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting right behind Michael Nuri, and you see me in the movie. I'm just sitting right behind him. I have one line in the movie when the comic's on stage, and he says, because it took place in Pittsburgh, uh-huh. and he says something about Pittsburgh, and it was the Steelers, and I go, go Steelers! And they kept that in, which is great, because had they not kept that in, I wouldn't get residuals. And Flashdance made so much money that I've done very well from Flashdance. Get out of here from one line? Yes, because if, if you're in the movie, yeah. you get residuals. If oh. you're not in the movie, you don't get residuals. Uh, and, the one line, and all your residuals are based upon how much the movie grosses. Wow. So anyway, so I'm doing this movie, but at the same time, people are saying, what kind of movie? I go, I don't know. I'm sitting in this bar of all guys, and I'm watching this girl throw water, splash water on herself. And just, <laughs> I don't know what it is. And about a year later, you know, it didn't come out for like a year. And uh-huh. I go, whatever happened to that thing? I go, well, I guess it's not going to come out. It wasn't very good, I don't think. I don't know. I don't even know what it's about. And the only thing I do know is I was friendly with the producers, and they were doing my trailer because I knew these guys because I was writing at the same time. Mm-hmm. I had written Police Squad at Paramount. I knew the guys, and they were doing my trailer to do blow-in, to do coke So they didn't have to do it when the executives came, although half the executives were doing it too. So... <laughs> So I, you know, ingratiated myself with all these people. So, um, uh, so then the movie came out. It was a big, it was an amazing hit. So, uh, so that that was Flashdance, and that happened about Jesus. Flashdance is about '84, I think '84. A couple of things happened then. Flashdance happens, and then Mary, what was her name? Mary, Mary, the tenant, Mary. Ah, I can't think of her name. Oh darn! She cast me in the Material Girl video. All right, I was going to ask you about that. What are you doing in the Madonna video? How did that happen? what happened was, in the very beginning of the video, which is before the song starts, Mm -hmm. there was a prelude, and in it was Keith Carradine was watching a a film. He's like like watching a film. He's like watching a screen test. He's playing like a Howard Hughes type of uh, mogul. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there watching a screen test, and and, and there's a character there who was his yes man. Yeah. And... And so I played the yes man. And it's uh, maybe 30 seconds to a minute tops. And then, and then it finally goes into Material Girl. Uh, and, but, you know, it was such a big video. Oh, my uh, God. You know, which was interesting because I just now, this last year, I wrote uh, the book for an adaptation of Hotel California with Glenn Fry. And when we did mm-hmm. a workshop of it last year in... At the University of Michigan, the witchy woman was played by Lourdes, Madonna's daughter. Wow. So it was kind of full circle thing. That was kind of fun. That's really... Uh, okay, so now, so from there, that's crazy. Yeah, and that, that, did you get residuals on that, on a video? No, you don't. No, no, this is no. You never, I don't think I've made, I mean, but no. the MTV was like every, in those days. MTV played videos, well, and that, that video and played the, all the day long. Was probably the biggest video outside of, yeah. of its time. I mean, that was up there with a thriller and stuff. Absolutely, like that. absolutely. Wow, that's great. And so did you get recognized from that? Did, like, people stop you on the street from that? I don't remember that. I don't, people stop me for Hollywood nights. You know, I, mm. I maybe one or two say, I saw you in the Madonna video. 
but uh, I, I remember them never stopping. Them. Okay, but okay, so then you start having like bigger parts, and they're getting more and more serious, and you're, you're being featured. You're, you're, you're Bill Durham and Batman and and uh, um, Good Morning Vietnam. Now, how did this dramatic career start for you? Well, I always had an acting background, so I was never worried about that. I was a theater major. In, you know, I was a theater major in college. We had a great theater department. It was. Dennis Quaid and me and Brett Cullen and Sidney Pickett. I mean, we had, we had a pretty good theater department there, so I was never worried about that. It's uh, not a question of worrying, that? but how did Barry it... Levinson, how did, okay. Barry Levinson had, had read me for Diner. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that. Wow. And he had read me for a couple of other things. He mm-hmm. liked me. Mm-hmm. So he finally cast me in Good Morning Vietnam. And then I went to an audition for Bull Durham, which Ron Shelton... Well, the character only had like two or three lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, but, I a, mem- but a very first. memorable character, yeah. Well, in the script, you only had two or three lines. This part expanded considerably. Uh, but, uh, and I just started improvising stuff, and Ron Shelton said, um, uh, oh, he didn't win, huh? That's oh, a semi, okay. I'm watching Michael Phelps. The, um, the, uh, so and he said, Ron Shelton will tell you, it's the worst audition he ever saw was my audition for Bull Durham, and he went to the casting director and said, hire him immediately, <laughs> because he's going to bring something that I need to the ball club, because he referred to it as the ball club. And so during that, his... Um, during that period is there so uh the part expands a little bit he lets me do some stuff and uh and he lets me say the one he lets me improvise the one line and stayed in the movie which surprised the hell out of me um and it becomes a seminal line in my career and then from that give us the line robert well it's the media it's a scene where they're all in the meeting on a mound and what had happened was there's a scene where all, uh, there's a meeting on the mound of all the players, and the manager sends the pitching coach, that's my character, out to the mound to see what's happening. And the way, as written, it went, uh, um, it was, uh, I go out there, I go, what the hell's going on out here? And Kevin Costner says, well, we're dealing with a lot of stuff here. It's like Nuclear Loose's dad is in the stands. The, uh, the, the, the first baseman, his girlfriend has put a curse on his glove, and we don't know what to get Millie and Jimmy for a wedding present. <laughs> We're dealing with a lot of shit here. And my line was, oh, okay, I thought there was a problem. Let's go. <laughs> okay, that was, that was a line as written. Okay. Okay, it was, it, was the last, it was the last shot of the night. Now, remember, we're shooting nights. Right. It was November, and it was cold. Mm-hmm. And because it's the last shot, so we're about to wrap. It's about 4 in the morning. And Ron figures that I've been sitting in the... In, 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 in the dug out all day. I must have come up with something. And what had happened the week before shooting is a friend of mine was getting married. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine. And I asked my wife, well, what do I get her for a wedding present? And she said, candlesticks always make a nice gift or find out where she's registered and get her, have, get her a place setting. So it comes time for the, t- for this, for the scene the last time. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, and they give the cue lines. We run the, so- the scene. And he says, you know, we got a curse on the glove. Nuka Lucia's parents are in the scene. And we don't know what to get Billy and Jenny for a wedding present. We're dealing with a lot of shit here. And I go, oh, well, candlesticks always make a nice gift. Or find out where she's registered. Maybe her place setting or silverware pattern. Okay, let's get two. Now, we, we, you know, we shot it. Fine. Next day we're watching dailies. Mm-hmm. And it comes up. And everybody laughs, which is quite funny. I never expected to ever see it in the movie. And, in fact, when I go to the screenings of the first one, it's in it. And it gets this huge laugh. Now, that said, the studio wants to cut the whole scene. The studio wanted to cut the whole scene of the meeting on the mound. And the only reason that line stays in the movie and the whole scene stays in the movie, because they kept saying it doesn't push the plot. Mm-hmm. And Ron Schell will go, what plot? You know, there's no plot in this movie. He says, it's about a bunch of characters. This is the plot. It's about what they talk about. It's like Diner. There's, there's no plot. And so, and the only reason it stayed in the movie, the only reason, 
because the executives all wanted it out. The only reason it stayed in was because when you did the focus groups and you fill, you know, when you had the screening, mm -hmm. you pull out the charts and they write down, it was always the first or second most favorite scene in the movie. Get out of here! And that's the only reason it stayed in the movie. Wow. Okay, so that comes out. And by the way, it makes it easy now for me to give wedding presents. I never <laughs> have to ever worry about what wedding present I have to give somebody. And Everybody gets candlesticks. <laughs> right, and they're disappointed when they don't get candlesticks. So it's the easiest thing in the world. And then from that, um, another supporter of mine was uh, the late, the, the very late and great Marion Dougherty, who was the grand doyen of casting directors. If you saw that documentary, Casting By, mm -hmm. on HBO, it was 90% about Marion. Mm -hmm. And she brought me in to meet Tim Burton for Batman. Yeah, I want to hear about uh, this. And that went very well. And uh, Tim came to see Bull Durham, mm -hmm. and, uh, and he cast me in that. And that was a great... Great. Uh, Batman was a wonderful, it was just a wonderful experience, and I was old enough to appreciate it, because, uh, you know, I was, I was shot four months in London. I got to live in London for four months and go to this incredible set and to hang out with Jack Nicholson. And Unbelievable. Everybody. And it, it was just, it was just wonderful. It was, uh, and Michael Keaton, and who mm -hmm. was a comic I had known, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was a great experience. And I got to become friendly there, and uh, everybody hung out with me because I had the weed. And, uh, <laughs> was it a funny set? Because all you funny guys on there. Uh, no. Well, no, it was work. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. It was so nice. It was a great set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, there was a lot of money riding on the line. Mm -hmm. At this point, Batman is the most expensive movie ever made. Right. When, so there was a lot. And, 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 and Michael I'm Keaton was a very somber, serious Batman. It yeah, was but very the whole thing about Keaton was... Remember, I don't know if you remember the backlash. I do you know, remember the backlash. Because they were saying, this is Mr. Mom right. playing Batman. Uh, you know, it's like, it's, you know, now the comic cons. It, it would be the equivalent of, I'm trying to think, who would be the equivalent now of somebody playing Batman? Uh, the people who took this stuff really seriously. I'm trying to think of a comic who would be in, Adam Sandler. Okay. <laughs> it would be the equivalent of Adam Sandler being cast as Batman, except not even now. It's Adam Sandler 10 years ago. Right. Uh, now, I knew Michael, and I'd seen a movie called Clean and Sober. Where I love Clean and Sober. Right. Fabulous so you film. know how good Michael can mm -hmm. be. And now, you know, the rest of the world is seeing it. But his, you know, remember, Michael's been the star of the last two best pictures. Right. So Birdman and... and, and uh, Fantastic, Spotlight. yeah. So, and, and like I said, I had the weed, so a lot of people <laughs> were hanging out with me because, uh, you know, one of the actors who shall remain nameless told me how to smuggle weed into London. Uh, which was very, which was, I, which was I, I have a guess on who that actor was, actually, but I won't say it. Well, I, what he said to me was, and I can't remember, can't say names, what he said to me was, Bobby, what you do with your mail a fan letter to yourself saying, you don't know me, but I'm a fan. Here's a little something for you. That way, if they catch you, you say, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. I can't imagine who that was. So okay, so so Michael's not being funny on the set because he's trying to be played straight because people aren't believing that he's going to be able to pull this off. So is that kind of what's going on? Well, like he was just playing the part. I mean, Tim had done. Yeah. Remember, Tim and he had worked together on uh, Beetlejuice. Right. So it's it, it was it was uh, you know it's it's it, it was it was a great you know it, it was just Batman was special. Yeah. Batman was very special. It was just the look of it and just everything and. Uh, of course, it was just the stories about what on, you know, during the shooting and a lot of stuff that happened there. And it was just a great, great experience. I mean, and then, of course, it becomes this monster piece of pop culture. The funny thing is, for the most part, I am not a big comic book fan for movies and science fiction and fantasy. 
I'm not a fan. I'm. It's like I've seen like I saw the first Star Wars. I think I saw this, maybe the second one, and I saw this one recently. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a Star Wars guy, and I'm not any of these X Men, and, and I don't see any of these movies. Neither I'm do not I. at all. I, you know, if I, I would rather get a root canal than sit through another Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I don't like that stuff at all. And they make up the rules and rules as they go along, with rare exceptions. I should say rare. Alien's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are rare exceptions. You know, mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz is the Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, um, yeah, you know, just kind of a good movie. Still, is a great movie. Uh, but I'm not a fan of the genre. It, you know, it's not my favorite genre. In, 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 uh, so, what is, is comedy your favorite? What's your favorite genre? Probably westerns. No kidding. <laughs> I love courtroom dramas. I like westerns. I like well, com- I like romantic comedies. Do you have I a like favorite? Do you comedy. have a favorite movie? To be or not to be with Jack Benny and Carol Lombard. Wow, and you pulled that out those. fast. Does that, d- that's way up there. Uh, anything, just about anything with Cary Grant. Uh, you know, Charade is a great movie. I love Charade. Uh, that's that's a pretty great movie. Uh, the Great Escape. If I'm going to go to war movies, like mm-hmm. I can talk about westerns or stuff like that. But uh, and dramas. I mean, I love like Twelve Angry Men. Mm-hmm. I love geez, any kind of courtroom drama. I love Witness for the Prosecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's so many movies that I really, really like. I like Fargo. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, you know, I, I go to a lot of movies. Does uh, Does anybody? I've seen a couple of good ones this year, which surprises the hell out of me. If you want to see it, my favorite movie this year is a little charmer called Sing Street. If you haven't seen Sing Street, I haven't. Sure you see it's on demand. Wonderful by the guy who made Once. It's a Love charming Once. movie. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And another one I liked was a little movie thriller called Eye in the Sky with Helen Mirren. It was terrific mm-hmm. about drone missile attacks. That was very good. Does uh, okay, we're we're segueing nicely into a, my next question. Do you, does anybody make you starstruck? Is there anybody that you've met that because uh, you've you've worked with incredible people? Is there anybody that? Uh, Kind of puts you off your game a little. Uh, well, I met Billy Wilder one time. That was pretty impressive. I was pretty much blown away. A, a funny story I'll tell you though about uh, about two years ago. I went to see uh, Bette Midler, who was very helpful to me. She was always a fan of my stand-up for some reason growing up, uh, coming up, and she was always very supportive of me. And I went to see her play when she played Sue Mengers and mm-hmm. whatever. And you'll never work in this town again or whatever. I'll eat you for lunch, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I went to see her, and I, back, I go backstage with my wife afterwards to the, to the dressing room, and mm-hmm. of course there's a receiving line. This woman's got her back to me. She's talking to Beth. And uh, it, it's, she finishes, and she turns around, and it's Meryl Streep. Oh. And, and she looks at me, and she goes, Robert! <laughs> and, and she hugs me like I'm, like I'm a long-lost relative. And, you know, incredibly. And she walks away, and Barbara says to me, do you know her that well? And I said, I met her one time. Wow. So my wife says, you think she's full of shit? <laughs> and I said, it's Meryl Streep. How would you know? <laughs> hey, listen, in Florence Foster Jenkins, oh my God. I had never heard the recordings of the actual Florence and before the movie. And I saw a screening last week. And I'm, list- and I'm thinking, wow, Meryl, you know she's having so much fun with this character well then I went home and I listened to the actual Meryl sounds I, I'm telling you if a, a music aficionado could listen to those two recordings and not know who was who she was so perfect have you ever heard the real Florence sing I heard it at the end of the movie when they played the credits right and, but uh, if you but, re- I, but, but it just it's just uh, you know Meryl those were jokes you know so I mean she's 
I mean, it's a nice little movie. You know what? You know what I was watching? It was a nice, I saw it last night. I enjoyed it. The uh, but it was a BB. You know what's interesting? It was a BBC movie. The BBC made it. And as I'm watching it, I'm realizing, you know, if, if this is their equivalent of an HBO movie. <laughs> I said, you know, this because it's not a big screen movie. Really. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's if not. the movie's going to play great on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really what it is. Although it would play fine, it's great that because it's a comedy when everybody's, you know, the, the laughter is great because of her singing. Mm-hmm. But it's a small movie. I it's mean, a small Grant's movie. Warner. I mean, it's a, but, but I said, no, oh, it's a BBC. This is the HBO version. You know, like HBO makes movies. Uh, this is what they did. They made a BBC movie. And that's not to negate HBO movies, by the way. I, my dear friend Brian Cranston is, uh, was, you know, did LBJ. You know, so uh, yeah, I've loved a lot of HBO movies. And you went back to the stage. You you did a revival of I Ought to Be in Pictures, yeah? Yeah, I did that over at the Falcon Theater, the late, great Gary Marshall's oh. theater. Uh, I did that oh, 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 at the Falcon Theater in, Bur- in uh, yeah, I don't know if it's Burbank or Van Nuys, whatever it's it's, yes, it. it's in Toluca Lake, Topanga, actually. Uh, what yeah. is it? Oh, it's a Panga Canyon? Toluca Lake. Uh, Toluca Lake, right. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a, yeah. So uh, I did that. I had not done that in quite a while, although I had been on stage because I was doing uh, touring the Assume the Position show. But that was, that was a lot of fun. I had a great and time. And Genevieve too. Joy was your, was your daughter, yeah? Yes, she was. Yeah. yeah, she's a doll. She she's is a doll. A, she's, written a little play. she's written a play now. It's getting good reviews. Yes, she, it's going up at the Fringe next week again. Um, okay, so I have, I have one last question for you, Robert. So do you have... Um, at, at, every week I ask if you have a guilty pleasure because the reason that I asked the question is because you've accomplished all this amazing stuff. You've won Emmy awards. You've had all these shows. You've been in all these major motion pictures, but there's something that connects us all. And that's our humanity. Is there anything that you do that, that you eat, that you listen to, that you wear, that, that, um, you're a little embarrassed about that you, I mean, not that you keep it a secret, but that you kind of feel funny about. You know, I don't keep it. See, I like I got Broadway musicals. I mean, I, I don't. But I don't know if that's a good guilty pleasure. But I mean, people are surprised at how much you know I dig Broadway musicals, uh, and uh, I like that. Um, What's your I'm, favorite? I'm Do you have a favorite I'm there? A, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Broadway. Tell, tell me a few you've loved. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Mm-hmm. How to succeed in business without really trying. Uh, I just saw a great revival of Fiddler. I saw the original cabaret. I was very lucky because I got to go in the 60s where they had, uh, you know, I got to see the original cabaret, the original mm-hmm. Fiddler, the original Chicago, the original Chorus Line. Um, uh, that, that was a pretty great run there. Yeah. Uh, what else did I see lately? I'll tell you something I saw that was great the other day. Really great was the Radio City Music Hall Summer Spectacular. It was terrific. With the really? It was terrific. I mean, the story's about, a, you know, an inch wide. I mean, it's corny as hell. But the production values and the costumes and the dance were terrific. No yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, How about uh, Hamilton? Talk about Did you Have you seen it? I haven't Hamilton? seen it. Okay. I haven't seen it. I had, I had house seats and gave them to my brother. What? Why? Yeah, well, it was, a, it, was a, it was his 60th birthday, and he mm-hmm. does me a lot of favors. So that was his birthday present. That's a very uh, nice what birthday else do I, what, else, what else do I like? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a bit of a theater geek. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, what else do I like? Uh, I was trying to think about. That. I mean, I, the, the food thing. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I love food. Yes, I mean, I love food. we have yeah, a friend in common. Um, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Very. My closest friend here in New York. Um, yeah. So Judy Porrent, who who did the road take, and his show's going to be on a couple weeks. 
Yeah, well, Drew Niporent is one of the great restaurateurs of all time. He is. And uh, he's a, my dear, dear friend. And he's some of the great restaurants, uh, Nobu and Tribeca and Batard. And I'm really uh, excited. I haven't been to Batard yet. It was opening just when I was leaving last Bart time, so I'm going uh, in two weeks. And I have to tell you, the Tribeca Grill, which has now been around, which I was asked to become an investor for, and instead I stupidly put the movie money into my own movie <laughs> and lost that. But uh, the Tribeca Grill is one of New York's great institutions. It is it such is. a solid restaurant. When I tell people, when people go to New York, I go, go to the Tribeca Grill. That's a real New York restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it's become, I think, such a classic restaurant. I have never, ever had anything even approaching a bad meal at the Tribeca Grill. And I say that over, and I mean, now, you know, it doesn't have the... Uh, panache, the superstar power of Nobu, or even Batard now. Right. The Tribeca Grill is just a great restaurant. Do you know that Drew and I worked together at Maxwell's Plum 40 years ago, and that, oh, ba wow. that bar in the Tribeca Grill is from Maxwell's Plum, that big circle. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He bought that from I became friendly with Drew at uh, Montrachet. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the first place I met him at which is still, to this day, maybe my favorite New York restaurant. Uh, I sat in Montrachet the day that he and Robert De Niro made the deal to do Tribeca Grill, and he brought him a plate. And you know how at Drew's restaurants they write on the plate, you know, happy birthday or whatever? And so they do it in chocolate on the dessert plate, and so he wrote across the top, um, congratulations, and that, that was the day they sealed their partnership for the Tribeca Grill. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. That was a very cool memory. But this was very cool. Robert, thank you so much. For, for coming on. I appreciate it so much. I adore you. I love everything you do. You make me laugh. I, uh, are you going to be uh, writing anything about the election? You're going to be, can we hear you anywhere? What's going on with you with that? Well, I have my own, I have, uh, my own podcast on uh, cbsdigitalplayit.com. Okay, cool. uh, it's called Ipso Facto with Robert Wall. We had a couple of, with the last few weeks, we had Brian Cranston, Owen Gleiberman from the uh, Variety yeah. Film Critic. Uh -huh. Martin Landau, Martin Landau, and uh, well, we've had some great people. F. Murray Abraham was on, and coming up in a couple of weeks, I have none other than Mel Gibson. Nice! I can't wait to hear what you do with well, him. Mel and I'll I be become checking friendly. In. It's okay. the strangest thing in the world, but we've become friendly, and we talk about everything. Everything. And, uh, by by the way, Mel's got a movie coming out that is the highest tested movie in the last ten years. Get out of here! Axor well, Ridge. It's a he's directed it, and it's a story of a guy named Desmond Doss, I believe is his name who is, in the history of the United States, is the only conscientious objector to ever win a Congressional Medal of Honor <gasps> during, the, during the Battle of Iwo Jima, where he rescued 50 people. Wow. And he was a conscientious objector and would not fire a gun. And uh, it stars uh, Andrew Garfield, and like I said, it is testing through the roof. So. Wow. Well, I look forward to hearing that. Do you, so do you, do you ask Mill, like, politically incorrect things, and do you go there with him? Well, we, first of all, we mostly talk about movies, because he's, he's you want to, it's encyclopedia knowledge of movies. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he, you know, he goes through, you know, to talk about the alcoholism, mm -hmm. and we go through that, but we, we talk about things, and, we, you know, go there, and he talks about how, what's happening now more in his life. Like, he is very much involved, and I believe, of course, uh, he and Amy Pascal, who was his biggest critic in the world, mm -hmm. are now joint are involved in a joint charity project with, uh, you know, Zane. Do you know Zane Busby at all? Uh, uh, she's involved in a project called the Lost Mitzvah, which is about uh, finding the remaining Holocaust survivors who are indigent. A lot of them, and this program helps them. This is Mel Gibson involved in this thing. So oh. it, it's, a, it, it's a very complex thing. With is he doing this as retribution or something? 
Well, well I think it's, it's, it, if it's not retribution, it's, it's doing something progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the alcohol, I know, you know, Mel's father was a super, super, super right-wing guy, you know. He was a very brilliant guy. He was a Jeopardy champion. Mm-hmm. And yet really? he's one of, one of these Holocaust deniers. Mm-hmm. And I remember he thought that, forget this pope, this pope he'd really have problems with. He had problems with the Pope beforehand. I mean, he's a very, 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 very extreme guy. So, Mel got that from his father. Yeah. And he'll never say anything bad about us. I get it. I get it. I know people like that. I mean, I, you know, I mean, look at Ivanka Trump. Everybody I know loves Ivanka Trump. Look at her father. <laughs> and I get it. It's your father. You're not going to, you know, it's not. So, this has been, but I, I, it's like he's worked in this business too long, and I don't know anybody in the business. I've never heard anybody in the business ever you know, talk about him in that sense. You know what I'm saying? He said these crazy things, which he said. He makes no bones about it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's alcohol coming out. It's father issues coming out. And uh, not that he's not an angry, you know, he's, not, he's a conservative guy. Don't get him wrong. I mean, he feels, he's got strong opinions. But it's really interesting, and we've become friendly, you know, so... Um, it's just interesting. Uh, that's, I respect that. Well, I'll be listening, and thank you so much for, uh, for doing this, Robert. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Vicki. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. So, Justin, my takeaway from Robert, we, you know, Robert's such a great storyteller that you know, I, I really couldn't like, ask him too many questions about how he did it because his stories along the way were so great. But for me, the takeaway with Robert is versatility. I mean, this man funny no sports he um is an he's an emmy winning writer um he's done dramatic roles uh he's 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 in a madonna video (laughs) he was in flash dance i mean he's done a lot of things he's sort of all over he's he's passionate about politics and has this podcast now uh talking with movie stars and politicians and um and I think the more versatile that we are, um, the more we work, right? He's, he's worked mm-hmm. in all these different avenues of show business. And if he, if he wasn't doing a dramatic role in a movie, he was writing a television show. He was acting in, in one. So I, I think, uh, okay, so I, I've got to learn more skills. <laughs> I don't have enough skills. Are you versatile, Justin? Do you have other things you do besides sound engineering? Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I also do music, and uh, I did video. It's been a while since I've done it, but I used to do video editing as well. Um, so, yeah, I try and keep up with other things that I'm interested in um, just because uh, it's fun to uh, be versatile and do do different things. I think I'm going to take up tap dancing. <laughs> Not really. Anyway, um, thanks so much for tonight, Justin. I want to say thanks again to Robert Wall. It was wonderful to have him on the show. I adore him. You've been listening to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. We'll be here every Tuesday night, 6 o'clock Pacific Time, 9 Eastern Time, 8 Central. And yes, there are, Justin just reminded me, you can find us at at Vicki Abelson on Twitter, at Vicki Abelson on Instagram, Vicki Abelson on the Facebook, and VickiAbelson.com on the internet. So say hi, check us out, follow us or me, and I'll send you to Justin, and we'll do that thing there.
Have a great week. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing, he's writing, knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon.